The following message was preached at Gospel City Church, a church that seeks to cast a gospel net for the people of Kuala Lumpur. Good morning, church. My name is Chris. I'm one of the elders here at Gospel City Church, and it's my privilege and honor to be able to share uh, the message today with you. Uh, right now, if you are under the age of 10, you are welcome to go to our uh, Sunday school, our children's church. And so you can go out that direction. Uh, Serena is headed that way, I think. So yeah, you guys enjoy your time and we'll enjoy our time here. Uh, we're going to continue our study in the book of Hebrews today. So we will be uh, considering the verses that Rachel just read for us in Hebrews chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. This year, Rebecca and I celebrate our 23rd wedding anniversary. So, yeah, that's pretty cool. Still a couple of months away, but this is the 23rd year. And I remember back when uh, I was getting ready to propose marriage to her uh, in America, the thing that you do is you get an engagement ring. And so you spend a lot of time preparing to get an engagement ring. And, and uh, American men who are seeking to propose engagement, spend a long time examining diamonds that will be in the, the engagement ring as you propose. And so uh, any, any young man anticipating that is familiar with the four C's of diamonds. And those four C's are color, clarity, carrot, and cut. Now, there was a time when I knew those right off the top of my head. Now I have to Google it to remember what were those four C's. But the thing is, is when it comes to looking at diamonds, uh, you, you look at them and you get these like magnifying glasses and you examine the cuts and you look in and you see the color and the imperfections and what the grade is on the diamond. And, and what you're trying to do is get the biggest, most beautiful, most clear, most perfect cut diamond you can get for your bride to be that you can afford. <laughs> and so you have to work within a budget. But what you learn is, is that because of the cuts on a diamond, the way that light hits those cuts, the light reflects in different ways. And uh, that, that's some of the beauty that is within the diamond. It becomes, it becomes known to people as the light hits it. And as we come to the book of Hebrews, uh, especially this week as I'm looking at this, at this passage and, and considering this verse, it's a lot like looking at a diamond. Because the book of Hebrews is about looking to Jesus and considering Him. He is our hope. He is supreme over all things, and we're being pointed to Him. And the author of the book of Hebrews is helping us look at Jesus the way that you might look at a diamond, looking at all these different facets and looking at all these different ways that Jesus is better. And today we consider that Jesus is greater than Moses. That's where the the author is taking us, that Jesus is greater than Moses. So as we consider that Jesus is greater than Moses, let me pray for us to receive this message from the Lord. Father, we acknowledge you are the one true living God. We acknowledge that Jesus Christ is your only son. And we acknowledge that he is greater would you help us this morning to know his greatness even more, to be fixated upon his goodness and his grace, and to be transformed by it, and that by being transformed, we might 
as a household, as a family, live out this grace in our communities to see your kingdom expand. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The passage begins, therefore. And if you've been around Gospel City Church long enough, you know that we like to say, when you see a therefore, you got to ask, what's the therefore, therefore? And so the therefore is connecting us to everything that's happened in chapters 1 and 2. Everything that came before chapter 3, we need to be mindful of. That Jesus was how the Father has revealed himself to us in these last days. And in the first two chapters, we are shown that Jesus is greater than the angels and that he is greater than the Old Testament law. And now we're going to be told that he's greater than Moses, the one who brought the Old Testament law and who, who was the prophet, if you will, of the Old Testament law to the people. We're told that Jesus is faithful to his calling in, this, in these six verses, faithful to his calling to build up a house that he is exalted over. We see Jesus' greatness as he is first compared in these passages favorably to Moses, but then he's elevated to a higher esteem because he has a greater work than Moses and he is in a higher office. One commentator writes that the repetition of some key words and ideas in this passage demonstrate this. God is the creator of all things. Jesus, brothers and sisters, belong to God's household, and they can be called holy because Jesus makes them holy, because Jesus sets them apart to himself. Jesus, being the high priest who makes atonement that we saw last week, continues here when he is called the apostle and high priest. So as we think about this, and as we want to see what the author is telling us when he says, therefore, as we begin to consider how Jesus is greater than Moses, we, we need to be mindful that there are some lessons in here. There's lessons that the author wants to teach the readers of this letter. There's, so what we're going to look at today is three lessons, but more so than just the lessons, there's exhortations. So lessons are something that we teach, that we learn, the information that we need that helps us in our growth. But then there's an exhortation, right, where, where someone is pleading or more than an instruction, but imploring you to do something, right? There's some knowledge that we receive, but then there's also do this. And so here is what he says to this church, this family, therefore, holy brothers or brethren, if you're reading in the King James Version, uh, which literally means brothers and sisters. It's not just limited to the men, but it is brothers and sisters. You who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus. And that's what we want to do. We want to consider. This is the exhortation in this passage, to consider Jesus. So if you're like want to write out notes, you're going to have five points today. But we need to remember that it begins and ends with an exhortation, and there's three lessons. And the first exhortation, the first point is just consider Jesus. Consider Jesus. Here we are told that he is the apostle and high priest of our confession. 
who was faithful to him who appointed. So there's instruction in here, but the exhortation, first and foremost, is to consider Jesus, to direct one's mind to a particular subject or to a particular person. But not just our mind, not just our intellectual capabilities, although our intellectual capabilities, are, our intellect is part of it, but it's also our heart. Consider Jesus. Take note of him. Grasp onto him. Recognize him. Understand him. In particular, in this sentence, the way the author uses the word consider, he's literally telling this household of God to immerse themselves into Jesus. Just dive in. Think about him. One commentator wrote, if the readers here limit themselves to the revelation mediated through Moses, they would be guilty of forgetting Jesus, they would repudiate his sacrificial work on their behalf, and as a result, they would be turning against the one whom God sent as high priest. We must look to Jesus. Jesus is the apostle and high priest. So as we turn, as we consider him, as we turn to the lessons that the author has for us, we are going to see three lessons that flow from this exhortation. The first lesson is this. Jesus establishes our confession. The second lesson is that Jesus is worthy of more glory. And the third lesson is that Jesus holds a higher office. So as we consider how Jesus is greater than Moses, this is how he's greater than Moses. He establishes our confession. He's worthy of more glory than Moses, and he holds a higher office than Moses. So Jesus establishes our confession. He establishes our confession as the apostle and high priest of our confession. He's the apostle. We, we don't often think of Jesus as being the apostle. We think of the 12 apostles, right? In the book of Acts, we talk about the 11, and then they add one, and then Paul gets called an apostle, and we have letters from apostles written to churches, and, and so we think of these, these 12 plus Paul who hold the office of apostle. But here, uh, the author of Hebrews is calling Jesus an apostle, and simply Apostle means a sent one, someone sent with a message. And so Jesus, being the Son of God, being sent by the Father, is an apostle. He's filling a role of apostle to, as a sent one to establish our confession. So we, he, we see here that Jesus is faithful to him who appointed him. He is faithful to the Father to go. He is the emissary sent by God to fulfill God's covenant promises. He is the one sent by God to accomplish salvation, to enable humanity to have access to God. He's the one who does that as the apostle and as the high priest, which we talked about last week. And he's faithful to him who appointed, just as Moses was faithful. Just as Moses was faithful, he established this confession in the same way that Moses brought the old covenant to the people of God. Jesus is bringing a confession. He is establishing a confession for the new covenant people of God. And here, this confession, it speaks about the truth that is embraced by all believers of Jesus Christ. 
This confession is not an abstract list of doctrines. Uh, I, being a seminary professor and someone who teaches systematic theology, love to teach doctrines. Just list. It's nice. It's easy. It's easy for me to grasp onto. But when Jesus came, he did not give us a systematic theology. He didn't give us a book of doctrines. No, the confession that he establishes is this, that we focus on him. Our confession is Jesus is Lord. That's, That's the first confession that we make. We focus on Jesus himself and his work on the cross. What someone thinks and confesses to be true about Jesus, who he is, and what he has accomplished on the cross tells us what we need to know about someone's eternal destiny. Those are the two most important things that anyone can ever believe and confess, who Jesus is and what he has done. And Jesus himself is the one who establishes that confession for us. So he establishes our confession, and in a way, he is compared with Moses favorably. The the author here is not denigrating Moses. He's not, this comparison is not casting Moses in any kind of unfavorable light, and we shouldn't because Moses was a faithful servant as well, right? He says that just as Moses was also faithful in all God's house. The, the thing about the readers of this letter, the original audience, they were Hebrews. They were, they were Jewish people, Jewish background Christians. And so they were very familiar with Moses, and they held Moses in very high esteem. And, and part of the challenge for these new believers is to turn their gaze from Jesus and return back to their old patterns of thinking and their old patterns of behavior and begin to elevate Moses higher than Jesus. And so here, the the author does not want to discredit Moses by any sense because Moses was faithful and Moses had a role and a position that God called him to fill and serve, and he did it. And yet, Jesus is greater. You see, the author continues to tell us that Jesus is worthy of more glory. While Moses was faithful in all of God's house, we're told in verse 3 that Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Jesus' faithfulness here is, more, is to be more highly honored than that of Moses, not because Moses' faithfulness was in any way defective, but because the faithfulness of Jesus is displayed in this way, as the builder of a house. Now, Jesus is building a house, we are told. That's why he's worthy of more glory. Because he's compared to this builder, someone who's building, who's ordering, who's equipping. He receives more glory because he has established this household, this house. And so there's two images. There is the image of a building. 
There's the image of a building that's being constructed, but then there's also the word for household, which emphasizes a family, which emphasizes a family. And so Jesus is the one credited with building this family. And because he's doing that, he is the one counted worthy of more glory than Moses. Moses did not build a house. Moses is being credited as being a servant in the house. But Jesus is the builder of the house. So Jesus is worthy of more glory than Moses. And as the builder... The third lesson here is that Jesus holds a higher office. As Moses is a servant in the house, he testified to the one who built the house. Jesus, we're told, is a son over the house. He's a son. He is the treasured son. He is the elder son, the oldest son, who, as an heir of God, has authority over the house that he's built. He's built it. He's put it in order. There's two things going on here. Uh, We talk about looking at a passage like looking at a diamond, right? And you see the different facets. There's two things going on here, two pictures that are playing off each other. There is the idea that Jesus is building his house, which we often refer to as the church. But there's also this picture of all of creation, right? Verse 4 tells us every house is built by someone, but the builder of what? All things is God. This is not just looking at building the church and constructing the church, the household of God. He's talking about everything. Where, who is Jesus? Jesus is the one who, with, as the Son of God, was present at the creation of all things. I popped it. There we go. Okay, on one hand, Jesus is a human being and is the high priest, is faithful to God. On the other hand, as the divine son, he is the builder of the house, the creator of all. The weaving together of these two themes is stitched throughout the letter. We are not surprised to find both the humanity and the deity of Jesus proclaimed in this passage. At the same time, the house here seems to refer both to the people of God and to the creation of the universe. When we read this, at first it looks rather simple, but it holds a number of hidden treasures for us. Jesus establishes our confession. He's faithful to do what he was sent to do. Jesus is worthy of more glory because he holds a higher office than Moses. He is over this household. That's why at the very beginning, The author tells us, consider Jesus. Immerse yourself into him. He is greater than Moses. He's greater than anyone and anything because he is the one who created all things. So let's direct our mind to Jesus. One commentator has said that When we come to Jesus and we consider these truths that are given to us here, as we consider them, they animate animate our intellectual patterns and instruct all believers 
to reform their biblical worldview. The way that they look at all things, the way that they interpret the news of the world, the way that they view the interactions of one another is to be thought of and understood through this lens of Jesus as Lord, as one who is greater than Moses. Think of it like this. It's like a software. Uh, If you have an iPhone, maybe you got a notification this week about updating your iPhone software, your iOS software. I turned on my phone this morning. I had that little red dot telling me it's time to upgrade the software. The software helps all of the, or that, that operating system helps all the software run appropriately to interpret all of the data so that it, when I read it, it makes sense. It's not just jumbled up on the screen and everything runs well. In one way, Jesus is kind of our operating system. When we fixate upon him and we consider him, he becomes the one that helps us to see and make sense of all of human history, past and future. We're able to understand and interpret things through him. We look at him and he helps us to put things in the correct order. We're encouraged as we look to Jesus to remain faithful to the one who has called us to faith because we see in him the one who is faithful to the one, uh, he was faithful to the one who called him for our sake. We look to him and we are, we are amazed as we sang, behold our God. As we look to him and behold him, we see him the Son of God who is faithful to the Father to do everything He was given. And so we are encouraged as we look to Him to be faithful to Him, the Son, who has called us to be a part of His household. He reorders all of our thinking. He reorders all of our priorities. That's what happens when we consider Jesus, when we immerse ourselves in Him. As one hymn says, all the old things have passed away. Everything loses its luster. Everything loses its importance, and Jesus becomes a priority for us. I totally like botched that lyric, but hopefully you guys know what I'm saying. We look to Jesus. We're encouraged by him. So we end up at the, at the end of the passage where we're told that Jesus, verse 6, is faithful over God's house as a son. And here is the final exhortation, right? If we're considering Jesus and we're thinking about these truths about who Jesus is, we receive this final exhortation in this passage. We are his house if... Which begins to kind of set up a little bit of a kind of a warning. There's warnings all throughout the book of Hebrews. This isn't one of the major warnings, but it is an exhortation. It's exhorting us to continue in something. We are his house, not building, but family. We are his household, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. We're part of his family. Our confidence is in Jesus. The more we consider him, the more we gaze upon him, the more we immerse ourselves in him, the more confidence we receive in him. 
and yet we must hold fast to him. We boast in him because he is our hope. The, it's not the act of hoping that the author's talking about. You know, we, we talk about the act of hoping. I, I want to hope, I have hope. But this is talking about not the act, it's talking about the content. What is it you're hoping for? Who is it you are hoping for? Our hope is in the person of Jesus. His faithfulness gives us hope. He was faithful. We are hopeful of that. He was faithful, as we're told in the book of Philippians, to the point of death on a cross. He was faithful. He was faithful to overcome sin and death. He was faithful. He was faithful to defeat death by rising again from the grave. So now there's an empty tomb. He was faithful to everything that the Father had for him. We look to that. We see him who was faithful through all of these things. And it, it encourages us to remain confident in him and to boast in him because he is our hope. What does that have to do with us? What does that have to do today? Like, it's one thing to say these things standing before you, but how does that play out in day to day? Well, there's a couple of applications to take away from here. Number one is there, there's a lot of talk in here about Jesus building a house. This exhortation here at the end is that we're told we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence in boasting. As I mentioned, this word house has more to do with a household, not a physical structure. And so as a household, it's a way of talking about family. Household is family. Brothers and sisters, right? You go back to the first verse, what does he say? Therefore, holy brothers, brothers and sisters, brethren, this is family. Today, after church, after our worship gathering, we're going to have a family meeting where the covenant partners of Gospel City Church come together and we talk about things that are going on in our family. We are family. I heard a story this week. I was reminded of a story this week of a, of a woman who moved to Malaysia several years ago. She was she was older. She was in her late 70s, and she was single. And she came, and she wanted to spend a couple of years laboring alongside fellow believers in Malaysia to, to see the gospel exalted, to see Jesus exalted and the gospel spread. And she attached herself to a church here. And uh, while she was here, she got sick, and she was hospitalized. This was before COVID, so it wasn't COVID. It was a while ago. And while she was hospitalized... Um, not one person from the church that she was attached to here went to the hospital to visit her. No one reached out to contact her. And somebody who knew this woman asked the church, why did nobody go to her? Why did nobody minister to her? Why did nobody care for her? Why did nobody encourage her? And the church she was tethered to said, well, we thought her family would do that. She was a single woman, 78 years old. 
She came to Malaysia. Who did she think her family was in Malaysia? She thought it was the church. And the church failed her. You know what? I hate to say this as one of the elders of Gospel City Church, but you know what? Gospel City Church might fail you, but you know who's not going to fail you? Jesus. He's faithful. He's never going to fail you. And you know what? In Jesus, there is grace. When, when that woman got out of the hospital and she, she went back to that church, and you know what? Did she hold bitterness against them? She did not. She was one of the sweetest women I've ever known. She went back to that church and loved them, despite them failing her. Why? Because her hope was not in the church. Her hope was in Jesus. Yet, we need to hear the warning that we're the church, we're the family. And so when we sit in our family meeting, when we sit here on Sunday during worship, and we look to the left and to the right, and we take the Lord's Supper together as a family... We need to recognize we are brothers and sisters together. Jesus is building a family here. We're brothers and sisters. We're uncles and aunties and nephews and nieces. And we ought to love one another as God's household. We don't think that it's somebody else's responsibility. We ought not to think someone else should have priority. No, we have a family responsibility to one another. The church may fail you. The church will fail you. Even in our efforts, in our, in our best efforts to try to live out this perfect family expectation, we will fail. But when we fail, don't hold that against us. Look to Jesus. Consider Him who was faithful despite so many others who failed Him on this earth. When we look to him and we see how he was faithful in the midst of those who rebelled against him, who lied to him, who gave him up, who left him, he remained faithful. We look to him and we are encouraged to be faithful because he was. And you know what? It's not just your church family that's going to fail you. You know what? In the world, your boss may fail you. If you are a boss, your employees may fail you. If you're married, your spouse may fail you. Take courage. Take confidence. Jesus never will. Jesus never will. And Jesus, and the author of Hebrews, is never calling you to have faith in your spouse. Never calling you to have faith in your children. Never calling you to have faith in your parents. Never asking you to have faith in your job. Never asking you to have faith in your bank account. Not asking you to have faith in your successes or in your prestige or in your, where you stand in society. No, he is pointing you and directing you to have faith in Jesus who is faithful to you. In the West, there is this, it almost seems to be a fad Almost every day, somebody is leaving the church because they say, I'm deconstructing. I still can't quite figure out what that means, but they're deconstructing and they're leaving the church for one reason or another. But you know what? I, I, 
of all the stories that I've heard of people who are leaving the church, I've never heard anybody say they're leaving because Jesus was faithful. They've taken their eyes off of Jesus and they look at all of the other things that are problematic. We're in a sinful world, folks. There's problems. They take their eyes off of Jesus and they focus on other things. And when they focus on other things besides Jesus, they walk away. We are easily distracted. We're tempted to turn from Jesus when we place a higher priority on something else besides Jesus. If we're seeking to build our identity upon something besides Jesus, Jesus will not be able to build his identity in us. And that's what being part of the family of God is about. Jesus building his identity into us. As we look to him, as we consider him the faithful one, he's faithful to us to build himself into us. That's what this is. We are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in hope. This is not telling us that we can lose our salvation, but rather this is showing us that we give evidence to being a part of his household when we remain faithful to the one who is faithful to us. It's an evidence of our salvation. It's an evidence of being a part of his family when we are faithful. Because the only way we can be faithful is because he was first faithful to us. So we consider Jesus. We look to him. We fixate upon him. We immerse ourselves in him. It reminds me of an illustration that I, I heard several years ago and is, is still helpful to me. And I think about it a lot whenever I'm in an airplane. You ever been in an airplane and you fly through a storm and you experience some really terrible turbulence and lightnings flashing around the plane? You ever get scared? I get scared uh, to the point where sometimes I wonder if I should stop flying. You know, it's, it's terrible. But I wonder about the pilots, right? How is it the pilots in the midst of a storm like that and, and there's clouds all around and there's lightning and, and all these things, how is it they know where they're going? Well, you know, before a pilot ever takes off, he sets his instruments to a particular course and he trusts those instruments. And when he gets up into altitude and he enters into a storm, you know what the seasoned pilot does? He doesn't touch the controls. He trusts that the instruments that have been provided will get him to the destination. He doesn't mess with the instruments in the storm because that'll throw him off course. Jesus is like those instruments. When we consider him and we, we find ourselves in trials and tribulations and storms of life and we get knocked off or we're tempted to be knocked off course or to look to something else, you know, if we consider Jesus, if we fixate upon him, we immerse ourselves in him, he gets us through. We don't look to the left or to the right. We consider Jesus. We fixate on him. And that's the exhortation this week brothers and sisters, family, consider Jesus. We all share a heavenly calling in him, and we are his house if indeed we hold fast this confidence and we boast in this hope. And may we do that today. Perhaps you are with us today and you don't know Jesus. You don't have that 
confident hope in him. You are lacking faith in him. We'd love to talk to you about that. We'd love to help encourage you to find courage in him, to find confidence in him, to build up faith in him. And so if you're struggling today, find one of the elders or find anyone who's been speaking up on stage today when the service is over. Just go to them and say, hey, can I talk to you? Uh, I'd love to talk about some things related to Jesus. We'd love to talk to you and, and help you in that way. Perhaps you are a covenant partner at Gospel City Church, and you're saying, you know what, I'm really struggling with some stuff. Uh, my, my gaze upon Jesus, I'm, I'm really being tempted to look in other ways. Hey, we want to come walk beside you. We want to encourage you. We, as a brother and sister, as a member of the same household, we want to lift you up during this time. Just come talk to us. Find a brother or sister and say, hey, I need, I need help. We're here for you. That's what we want to do. We want each and every one of us to continue to fix our eyes upon Jesus. Consider him and let him guide us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the love that is bestowed upon us in Christ. Thank you that you are guiding us, that you are faithful to us. May your faithfulness to us Fill us up, spill out of our lives that we would live out faithfulness to you and to the task you've called us to in this world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to this message. We invite you to learn more about Gospel City Church at gospelcitychurch.my.